This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. This is Agents of Shield Cast, your source for the best analysis of the ABC television series Agents of Shield. With your host, Agent Andrew Johnson. If they can bring back Clark Gregg, maybe they can bring back Ed Norton. That'd be weird. Agent Bibbs Bibiani. I got all my ideas from Mr. Belvedere. Come on. Agent Gwen Reyes. Anybody that's not a huge Joss Whedon fan just really needs to pack up their whole life and move to another continent. And Agent Rod Morrow. I feel like someone just ran into your room and gave you a wedgie and then ran back out. They are the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team, a.k.a. The Shieldcast. Agents Assemble! This is episode number 13 of the Agents of Shieldcast. This is Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion of the ABC television series Marvel's Agents of Shield. I'm Agent Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow members of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team. First up, he's an all-around comics enthusiast and the founder of the Black Guy Who Tips podcast network, Agent Rod Morrow. Yo, what's up, everybody? How are you doing, Rod? I'm doing pretty good, man. Looking forward to uh, talking some Agents of Shield. Did you leap out of your chair and cheer last night at the very end of the episode? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, okay, I, I was ec- ecstatic and I'm um, glad that they uh, glad they didn't kill my man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, he is the film channel editor at CraveOnline.com and a co-host of the B Movies podcast, Agent William Bibbs Bibiani. I watched Remains of the Day last night. Good for you. Thank you. Better or worse than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? It's better than most things. Okay. It's an unfair comparison. It's like, how good is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, it's all right. Is it better than chocolate? No. <laughs> it's not better than chocolate. Shut up. As always, you can email the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com, and you can access all of our episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you like the show, please leave us a review. That would really help us out a lot. And if you leave us a good review, we will make you an honorary member of the team. We also have a voicemail line at 336-793-2509, so you can call and leave us some feedback. This show is being recorded live at Spreecast.com. To receive updates on when we'll be recording live, you can search for Agents of Shieldcast with all the periods in there and sign up to be alerted for whenever we do a live recording. You can also follow any of us on Twitter for information on when we'll be recording live, and we will uh, give out those handles at the end of the show. Now, you may have noticed that Agent Gwen Reyes is not with us today. Unfortunately, she had to travel somewhere to a magical place is what i heard <laughs> that's still funny andrew yes that's yes. still funny every time the joke never gets old i'm really hoping that now that that's uh now that granted we didn't really learn at what really happened but uh we we at the very least colson knows that that's bullshit but i hope he's still programmed to say it Yes. And it was just like, you know, yeah, well, I've, uh, I've got, our, our Mark has his, all of his money in an offshore account in Tahiti. It's a magical, fuck! <laughs> Damn it! There should be an entire episode that's nothing but Coulson standing in front of a mirror trying to talk himself out of saying it every time. There should be an episode set in actual Tahiti. <laughs> but here's the fun part. Everyone in Tahiti is a brain-carving robot. <laughs> He was actually in Tahiti. Like, in all fairness, turns out he was there. 
Uh, well, Gwen's not with us today, but we are privileged to be joined by a very special guest. Uh, he writes about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and comics over at the A.V. Club, and I believe he was the first guest we ever brought on the S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, so it, uh, it seems appropriate to bring him back now to discuss the mid-season premiere. Oliver Sava, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to have you back. Unfortunately, we don't have any honorary members to induct today. Uh, as always, if you'd like to become an honorary member of the team, just leave us a positive iTunes review. We really pr- appreciate all of your support. Uh, we did get a listener email, and we are going to read that at the end of the program and discuss that, so stay tuned for that. But first, uh, let's dive right into this week's episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about episode 11 of season 1 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The episode is titled The Magical Place. It was written by Paul Zbzewski? I believe is how you pronounce it, and uh, Brent Fletcher, and it was directed by Kevin Hooks, Agent William Bibiani. Why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a quick synopsis of what happened on this episode? Last night on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Coulson uncovers vital information about the mystery of his death, but with Centipede out for blood, this knowledge may come at the cost of one of the team. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. What the fuck? <laughs> these, these synopses are terrible. Just blatant lies. <laughs> the fucking worst. I don't know who runs the ABC website, but they just do not know how to summarize an episode of television. I, I get it. They're trying to get us in there, but like, it, you can't... This is why cinema scores turn out low. It's when uh, uh, advertisers promise something that the audience doesn't get. Doesn't necessarily mean the thing is bad. It just means it's been false advertised. Um, also, did you notice that the... Um, Practically every w- w- at the at the mid season finale uh, last time when uh, Jagger Searchers got blown up and Coulson got kidnapped and then it was like after the break on Agents of Shield like every single shot from that preview was from like the first five minutes of this episode. <laughs> yep, except for the shot of all five of them uh, standing in a line in leather. A couple of shots in the desert. Everything else from the first five minutes. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Well, Oliver, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I I read your review over at the AV Club for this episode. Uh, Everyone should go check that out. You gave this episode a C, which from I've been following your your uh, your reviews that you've been doing with David Sims, and it seems like that's kind of in general the level you feel the show is at. I think that's where, uh, in retrospect, where the show has been since the beginning. Uh, I think we were giving it a generous B, B minus uh, stuff at first with hopes that it will get better. Uh, and then after a while, sort of our patience uh, ran out and it is now firmly in the C to uh, the D plus territory. This episode is actually uh, rated a little higher than our last, uh, the last three I just fe- I felt that there were some uh, stronger elements in this week, and we have, we finally have uh, a direction that the show is moving in. So I'm glad that we have that at least. Okay, well, t- well, tell us a little bit more about what you thought of this week's episode. Do you think that this is a good start to the second half of the season? Uh, not particularly. I I think it was uh, an a bland, mediocre hour of action adventure television. Uh, that uh, rang very Power Rangers to me at times. So I don't know if it's necessarily the best way to uh, give me a lot of faith for the next uh, the next half of the season. But uh, it was an improvement over what we had before, so that's good. We actually have, it seems like Centipede is uh, becoming uh, more and more of a villain, an actual threat. We got tiny answers involving Coulson. 
we saw some development with Sky, so that was nice. But everyone else uh, just kind of sat there and didn't really do anything. Everyone on the plane didn't do anything except uh, for eventually some shitty fight sequences. Uh, but otherwise, Fitz and Simmons, here's a sandwich with a phone in it. That's all you got, really. Uh, but I did like uh, that they spent uh, more time with Sky, at least. You had some investigating that wasn't all green screen, touch screen crap. You actually had her in the field doing stuff. But it doesn't. Sky still doesn't ring true as a character for me at this point. In my review, I wrote how she's kind of like the Robin or the Bucky, uh, a stand-in for the audience uh, that also has uh, that fantasy element. And uh, at that point, she's that for me. She's not yet a character. I still see what her point, like I see what the writers want her point to be instead of actually getting an idea of who an actual character is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, so, I, I mean, I know you mentioned that you rated this episode a little bit higher than, than the previous few episodes. Is this at least a small step in the right direction? Definitely. Definitely, I think it's a step in the right direction. And uh, I actually really liked the the later Coulson scenes. I really liked the scene between him and Reyna. I, thought, I think Reyna's like the best part of this show uh, at this point. I just like that actress a lot too, though. I wish that she was Sky. essentially. I think that she's better at kind of making me believe that she's a real person, uh, even though she hasn't really even done much in this show, and we have no idea what her story is. I'm just more captivated by her than the other characters. That might just be because I know her from Misfits, too, though, so... Oh, was she in Misfits? She was Nikki. She was Curtis's girlfriend, I think, in season two, for a while. Okay. Totally forgot that. All right, well, Rod, what did you think of last night's episode? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. So it was, uh, I, I actually enjoyed the uh, action sequences uh, a lot. Um, I thought Melinda May was looking like a badass. Um, I like how they incorporated Ward being injured into it and the fact that it was uh, only 36 hours after Coulson had gotten captured and they looked like they had been hunting for Coulson. They looked like they had just got their ass whooped. I also enjoyed the stuff with uh, Melinda May uh, looking like she sabotaged Sky and kind of forcing Sky to go out and uh, be competent and get shit done. And later on, you find out that that's kind of, you know, May knew that Sky would would, uh, step up in that situation and was kind of dependent on it. Um, I enjoyed that moment in the cockpit between her and Ward where she was like, you don't have to, you know, always assume the worst about me. I thought that uh, Raina and her entire like good cop, bad cop moment with um, the interrogation of Agent Coulson uh, came off really well. I, typically, I thought, you know, a moment like that could just be boring because they actually went through like two commercial breaks to do his, uh, mm-hmm. you know, his his breakdown. And I was like, you know, but I was just as intrigued by that as I was by them hunting down uh the people who were capped who had captured him and uh i thought clark Gregg did such a great job in this episode especially um the scene where uh he's just telling them please let me die over and over like uh, i thought that was pretty uh pretty strong and uh, uh my man mike peterson being back uh was a great reveal at the end i'm just glad that he didn't die maybe it's a little too optimistic but i hope they're setting him up to be deathlock man because he has a doesn't he look like Deathlock now? Yeah. Oh, thank you. He looks so Deathlock. He's got the half face. If you guys remember the first episode of this show, episode zero, 
I brought up that shield and Deathlock are pretty much that in all the books that they're at least, you know, combined like Deathlock and shield go hand in hand. So it would really be cool if he turns out to be Deathlock, especially since he's under the control of um, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, the clairvoyant and their organization. Um, I was not let down really by the reveal of what happened to Coulson because I didn't expect him to reveal the entire thing right away. I, I still like, it's only halfway through season one. I still expected um, them to uh, have more layers to it, you know. So um, the thing, you know, like us finding out that he wasn't dead a couple of minutes, not a couple of seconds, but, you know, literally days or whatever. And um, Fury and these guys apparently being involved in, uh, you know, getting him to to not only live, not only to come back to life, quote unquote, physically, but to have the will to live again. Uh, in planning false memories and stuff. I really want to see where they go with that. That's uh, pretty interesting. And uh, I enjoyed the episode a lot. Bibbs, what, what was your take on, on the episode overall? Um, you know what? I actually think this episode was a huge improvement. I, I've been very critical of the show lately as well, and I think with good cause, because it's got a lot of problems. But uh, it came back with a lot of energy. Uh, it came back with a very focused plot. A lot of the uh, plots of individual episodes have been kind of... Eh, wishy-washy, like it didn't really feel important to anyone, it was just sort of an excuse for everyone to futz around and say cute things uh, obviously having one of their own kidnapped would help, but um, yeah, it was just uh, it was very focused, it was very uh, I- I'm not going to go as so far as to say intense, but it was sort of tense mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of different elements that I liked in the episode, Fitz and Simmons I, I-, I like that they're trying to give us dark fits you know, where he's just kind of a douche. Like, that's as far as Dark Fitz goes. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I like that uh, uh, we're starting to see in this episode uh, sort of dramatic reversals of where characters were at the start of the series. Now, granted, that doesn't make them complex characters. It just means, uh, at the very least, they're starting to play with them and not just have them be entirely one note. Ward, the uh, by the book altruistic hero type, really that that plane bit was really really cool. The plane interrogation where the ceiling opened up, I thought that was neat. I was enjoying that. Uh, we got to see Sky be halfway capable agent. Mm-hmm. Thought that was kind of cute. The first shot I've ever seen in the series where Sky was actually sexy was uh, when she like crashed her car and she's all like panting, like post coital, like. <sighs> And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could make her make those noises. That would be fun. Hey, Bibbs, what about when she was yeah. running when she was running around that mansion in that dress and she got wet and she was jiggling? That was pretty sexy. No, that doesn't. No, 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 no. I'm more, I'm more of a David Cronenberg crash guy. Uh, like, I need, <laughs> that's what I need. The other thing I'll say is that uh, Coulson is, uh, joins Viggo Mortensen as one of those actors who looks better when you mess him up a bit. Because uh, when he was, like, you know, covered in grime and had some, like, some cuts on his face, something like that, he was looking dash handsome there for a couple of times. I was like, oh, my God, Coulson. <laughs> so, uh, overall, I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, the As for the big Coulson reveal, again, it, it, yeah, you're right. It didn't really reveal all that much. It confirmed a couple of things. He's not a life model decoy. We know that now. Um, I, I'll, I will give them this. Uh, at the very least, when they did, Tahiti just disappeared. They gave us a really cool visual. 
all right, that brain carving robot was really kind of fucked up. I was like, oh man, well that's that's fucking neat. I hope that comes back some somewhere. Like I hope that like accidentally makes Modok or something. Like I really want to see how that. I want that robot back in play. Um, so, uh, but basically, all we've got left from that reveal is. Uh, Colson was dead for days, and that means that bringing him back was a calculated decision. It wasn't just like, well, see what you can do. You know, like, oh, Colson died. Well, bring him back. Bring him back. Just just, just use those machines you have with the things. So uh, I guess it's going to have to be important, you know, extra important as to why they're bringing him back. So I guess he's the chosen one or something. I will say I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed that when all was said and done, Tahiti wasn't actually a magical place. <laughs> like I was kind of hoping that Tahiti would turn out to be like Belasco's limbo, or or Dormammu's d- dimension, or like Doctor Strange's office or something. Like I was hoping it would actually be magic. No dice. The yeah. other thing, but, um, but, yeah. Rob Hubel was in this episode, and I love Rob <laughs> Hubel. Um, very small part, but as soon as I saw him, I started laughing because I love Children's Hospital and some other stuff. Um, yeah. And I actually liked the first action scene and how it involved every part of the team. Um, I forgot yeah, to bring that up. That was cool. Well, the, the interesting thing, like that first scene, uh, everyone was really working together as a unit. I thought that was good. I, it, it, this really was finally the, the, the team is together in some form. Um, everyone had a part to play. But I honestly, if you had told me that the opening of this episode was like three weeks later, I would have bought it. Uh, I'm actually kind of weird. I actually think it's weird that they picked only like two days because a couple of weeks of that would have really helped solidify the team and it really would have helped them get some some character development done that hadn't already. Yeah, they picked exactly yeah. 36 hours, which I thought was an odd choice too. Like when they noted that, I was like, yeah. wow, really only a day and a half? Like I, they looked like shit. Like, uh, but yeah. um, I guess they said they had been running the whole time. Um, but also uh, along those lines, the contrast between Coulson's team and Shield Protocol was uh, so obvious in this episode, and I and I like that as a recurring theme uh, because everybody doesn't like dealing with their shit. No matter how effective it is, it becomes normalized in these episodes where there's no Shield oversight. But the, as soon as you add in elements of of Shield oversight, it's immediately like you motherfuckers don't do anything the right way. And I like that. I like the exasperation. Uh, of uh, of uh, uh, Agent Hand dealing with them. Oh, it just makes me feel like Shield, the the organization outside of this airplane, is completely incompetent at everything. Like Victoria Hand always tells them to do the wrong thing. Always, it's like this week. Where did that that shield force that she sent to Sydney or whatever? They were just going to fucking nowhere. Like whereas <laughs> Sky was able to find this desert outside LA where everyone is. Like, okay, I was. Uh, they didn't go nowhere. They actually said they shut down like a hundred different centipede locations across the uh, world. Okay. They just didn't find Coulson. So in all fairness, they actually did something. But that's the fun. That's the fundamental fallacy of this whole Maverick Renegade spy plot. You know, like, you don't play by the rules, but you get things done. That doesn't really work outside of a movie. Because in a movie, you can get away with it for one plot, for one crime, for one mission or whatever. When you do it every single week, yeah, it really does have that effect of making the entire organization look incompetent. But isn't that just about every one of these, like, kind of shows? Like, 
24 was pretty much the foundation of that is Jack Bauer's always right and everybody else is, is incompetent. Like No, no, no. See, he was only that that only happened seven like seven times over the course of the entire uh, uh series. That was seven days over the course of years that that was actually but the exception. as a person watching that show, it happens hourly. Uh like right. for somebody viewing but it. But that's an hour in a day. I understand I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying as someone who's watching the show, because I, I know what y'all are trying. Well, it's just an hour. That's not how people are watching the show. They're not like, oh, well, I'm sure the other 364 days, Jack is wrong and everybody else is right. We only uh, pop up and watch him when he's absolutely right and they are absolutely fucking wrong. And that is a staple of a lot of shows. That's not just his show. Almost all these, um, you know, procedural maverick type shows have this element of wow nobody really thought you'd do it that way and it fucking worked it always does that that's i don't think that's emblematic of just this show i think ctu proved its incompetence by hiring a mole in every single season (laughs) (laughs) you know it's coming every season like who's the mole oh no we have a mole of course you do it's 24 there's no screening process for CTU. It's stupid. Well, I, I agree with you, Bibbs. I think that this episode was a strong step in the right direction. It, it definitely had its flaws, and there were a few things that annoyed me. But overall, I was pretty happy with it, especially those final scenes with Coulson and Reyna. I thought that those worked really well. And that final after-the-credits teaser with, uh, with Mike Peterson, I think that that might be the best reveal the show has ever done. I absolutely loved it. It's the kind of reveal that, yeah, feels kind of logical, but it's. I still thought it was very surprising, especially when they reveal that he's lost a leg. And then when they bring back the whole surveillance chip in his eye, I just thought that that was a great callback that adds just a lot more directions that that subplot with him could go and i'm really really excited that was the thing about this episode that it just left me feeling good you know a lot of a lot of episodes of shield they'll be kind of okay but they won't end well and so i'll I'll kind of feel bad about them afterwards this episode was a little bit rough at times but it just ended really strongly and that that makes me want to come back next week and see what happens next that leaves me fairly confident it's also like the first time that we've ended an episode and it's not tahiti as the ending that's actually a good point yeah or them playing scrabble or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i have one issue with that with that ending uh but first off i you know i i believe i was the one saying all along that he's not dead he'll be back I didn't say he'd be back right away, but so I wasn't shocked. I was like, oh, man, Mike Peterson, he lost a leg. Oh, I hope he finds it again. <laughs> the thing that bugged me about it, and I, I don't know why I got really distracted by this, but when he's looking, there's a POV shot, and then you see that text. I forget what it says, like, hello, Mr. Peterson, or whatever. I was like, you have the most high-tech, like, cybernetic technology in the world, and you, you, you only have, like, a Matthew Broderick War Games font? <laughs> like get some helvetica in there for fuck's sake i'll i'll, I'll take pap- i'll take papyrus i don't care it could have been comic sans which would it could have been comic sans. no no i'll, I'll yes. grant you that that would have been worse they do that sometimes with uh tech on the show in, mm. in ways where they go far but not too far or not in some cases not far enough like uh it's weird that sky's bracelet can shut down everything but they can't use it to track her you know, like stuff like that, where it's just like, you know, I, I just kind of. It shuts down the tracker. 
like I just give it the benefit of the doubt where I'm like, all right, that you know, that's a thing that is happening in this show, and I and I kind of understand. So, you know, I, I, you know, if it does just use DOS font or something, I, I'm okay with that. Or if you have a Roomba that does a flashbang grenade, like I, I get it. Why does the Roomba have a shield logo on it? Doesn't that seem like a stupid idea? Doesn't that seem like that's a problem? I, I, I understand that they're branding this fucker, but like. Surely there might be a time when you'll need to use a flashbang Roomba, but you don't want, you know, everyone to know it was S.H.I.E.L.D. who did it. They're spies. Put FBI on there. That'll that'll switch them up. It's a problem until this Christmas when I'm buying my S.H.I.E.L.D. Roomba and then it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> oh, Think Geek is totally going to put one of those out now. I need a S.H.I.E.L.D. Roomba. Oh, you totally know they are. <laughs> oh, my God. Ashley in the chat room just pointed out that Centipede couldn't afford a clean hospital room either. Yeah, that was that was low on their list of priorities. I, I did anyone you know? Have we seen like there's a point when Sky threatens someone with the fridge? Have we haven't seen the fridge yet? Right? She made that. No, up. no, we haven't. No, it's probably just the attic from Dollhouse with a different name. This show feels so much like Dollhouse to me at times. No, I'll grant you that. I wanted to chime in on the the mic uh, reveal because it seemed like we all enjoyed that to a certain degree. Uh, and uh, I think it's because uh, I mentioned this in my review. There's a we're seeing a change with Mike, like a really significant change from where he was at the beginning to where he is now. We see that with Colson, but we don't really get that with anyone else beyond because uh, we don't really know who they were before the show. Yeah, uh, like we get tiny bits of information from other characters about these characters, but we never see anything. It bugged yeah. me so much when we found out May's backstory from people telling her, telling Sky about it, instead of flashing back to it and actually showing us what May looked like back then, how she acted. Like, it was a, a show don't tell, essentially. And uh, the, my biggest problem with the show is that, like, five of the six main characters I know nothing about and could give less of a shit about. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like uh, we heard uh, Fitz and Simmons went to school together. That's all. The end. Ward was thrown in a well as a little boy. Okay, this is not character development for me. These are just uh, factoids that aren't adding up to anything. Ward was not thrown in the well. His little brother was thrown in the well. And that was a flashback where they showed us and didn't tell us. um, But that didn't come off well. Wouldn't it be great if we had a Melinda May flashback and it was the same well? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like actually like Ward's like older brother like had a sex change operation and became <laughs> Melinda May. And the show took a really dark turn. I would actually think that would be awesome. Why would that even be a dark turn? Okay, fine. I think the ABC family would love that. <laughs> just extra incest on the show. Make it happen. Just cuz it's uh tra- uh just cuz it's cross gender uh uh incest does not necessarily mean it has to be dark. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. When you look at uh, uh, J. Agus Richards' character, I, I think Oliver's entirely right. Uh, that is much more satisfying because we know where his character was coming from. And the reason why we know where his character is coming from is because we know what motivates him. And I've been complaining about this for a while. With the exception of Sky, who has a really trite motivation in terms of finding your birth parents, which is just... It's just screenwriting suicide, as far as I'm concerned. It's, uh, uh, no one has a clear motivation on the series. We don't know what, what do Fitz and Simmons want? What are they after? What's their end game? 
You know, like we, we, we need to know what they're going for so that we know how that motivation will take them in different directions and will cause them to make certain decisions and that motivation will evolve and they'll want something else and so on and so forth. Maybe they'll be corrupted. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll go rogue. Maybe they won't. We don't have enough of that. And, but I think the reason why this episode is starting to work for me is that after the first half of the season was pretty straightforward. Like everyone was pretty much consistent throughout the entire season, uh, so far. Uh, seeing any slight variation on it now is starting to feel like character development. It gives the illusion of character development. Yeah. When Sky is acting like a halfway decent S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, that feels like a stretch. When Ward is actually going rogue and not playing by the book, that feels like a stretch. So it's actually starting to be a little satisfying. It would have been better if they'd done it organically, and I think we are long overdue for a flashback episode where ev- we find out where everyone was like a year ago. Yes. Just to set that up, I'm sure you can find some way to make that fun, some important plot point to reveal it. But yeah, that I think that is the key to making the show work, is a one really, really good flashback episode to contextualize everything and make all future plot points feel more important. Yeah, that that's a good point, Bibbs. And getting back to everything with with Mike and the reveal at the end, you said last week uh, on our on our bonus episode that the main thing you wanted from Agents of Shield was for it to do something unexpected. And yes, you did predict that Mike would still be alive, but I don't think any of us predicted that he would have that thing in his eye, and now he would be a slave to Centipede. And it's it's things like that where they don't do what you expect or they do what you expect but then add an interesting layer on top of it that you couldn't have predicted. I think that's what the show needs to do more of. I also wonder how much of um, the choices are about the acting ability of the people portraying the characters because J. August Richards and Clark Gregg are two of the superior actors on the cast uh, so far in my opinion. And I wonder if that's uh, part of the reason that they're given more to do than uh, some of the other characters. But like Ming Na is a phenomenal actress. She was in Joy Luck Club. She was in ER for years. Like she is as the world turns. Yeah, not a bad actress at all. She can be doing so much more. All she does is glare at people and then run awkwardly a lot. The other thing is though, they've given people stuff and then. Uh, there's always like these reasons they don't count. Like they did give Sky like you know her hacker boyfriend that episode where it's like it, what trusting in her loyalties and stuff like that. And regardless of how um, people may feel that it's somehow a cliche, which I still don't understand, but the parent background that she has that as her motivation, it is her motivation. They are sticking to it. It does come up pretty much every two weeks or whatever. And it does guide her character and the choices that she makes. I just wonder if it's because people just don't think she's a strong actress or they don't identify with the character that they're just not counting that. Because for me, I do feel driven by her, uh, by that plot. I mean, I think that she's not a bad actress, but I think that she was poorly cast as Sky, this computer hacker chick that is really amazing at doing stuff just because it sounds superficial, but she is supermodel pretty. She's not, and I mean, I don't want to stereotype and say that I don't want somebody gorgeous to play like a computer hacker or whatever, but I feel like when she does the spy stuff, it works a lot better. It plays sort of to where she's at visually. I feel like I'm being really offensive right now, but like... (laughs) No, 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 it makes sense. Did did anyone see that Ethan Hawke movie Getaway last year? Yes. 
Oh, with Selena Gomez. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a scene. There are scenes in that movie where Selena Gomez is hacking into the police department on her iPad in a car, and I, you just, you just can't accept. You can't. No, you just can't. Your brain can't register that image. It doesn't really work. I mean, but and also she's just a terrible actress. Like there's, there's a line in the movie she can't sell. She can't sell the line. I have an idea. Like she can't sell that line. She can't make that sound plausible. That's just bad. I'm sure she's had an idea at some point, but she can't make it work. Sky can sell that. She's better than Selena Gomez, so maybe that's why I'm giving her a pass. Yeah, I feel like Chloe Bennett can actually act, and they do enough groundwork with her character to set her up as this hacker. To me, the only times that I really disliked her character were when they were trying to make play it coy, like she didn't know, like she was in over her head all the time. Those are the only times I don't like the character because it doesn't make sense that she's so streetwise and savvy and so Mm -hmm. good at, you know, able to hack well enough to get Shield's attention and get Clark Gregg to put her on the team unofficially, but yet also completely perplexed by, you know, everything that happens at Shield. So I actually like this, like this episode with her is probably um, my second favorite with her because she's not in over her head. And she's being competent and she's kind of uh, overcoming adversity with her brain. And I don't care that she's hot. You care. I don't just look at her and go, well, she's hot, so I don't accept this plot. She's doing a good job with the material. It's not because she's hot. It's because when she says hacker stuff, it doesn't sound like she always knows what she's talking about. Yes. If this is Kristen Bell being Veronica Mars, like, you believe Veronica Mars and she's gorgeous. But I don't believe Sky. At all. Yeah. Which could be a writing thing, though, too. No, it's definitely ha- part of Hacking it. on this show is I use the elevator. Y'all brought up her looks, not me, for the record. Oh, for the record, Rod, you were just saying that you loved how she got wet and was jiggling in the, in the ass. <laughs> I never said she wasn't attractive, but y'all brought up her looks as a reason not to believe she could be, she could play the, that, like, as a part of the reason you weren't buying into this role. Then when I said, well, she looks good, and I still believe it, then all of a sudden it was like, well, I'm not saying it's because she it's looks like, good. I, I think also she, how is uh like Sky this is what Sky looks like when she's been living out of her van in the first episode. Like <laughs> it's not believable. It's just like she she dresses like she just walked off uh like a hip Forever 21 spring collection runway or whatever. Like I need her to wear a pair of freaking glasses and a cardigan or something. Like make me costume, makeup. Just something to make me feel like she's more of that character. I will say this. I hope she keeps that coat. That was a cute-ass coat. Just go more spy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that the the hacker stuff works well with, with Sky when she's in kind of that spy mode. Rod, I agree with you. I think that this was one of the better episodes for Sky along with uh, the asset, just because these are the two episodes where she's kind of been out on her own, uh, away from the rest of the team, trying to figure out what she can do in terms of uh, her training and and, and her spy skills. And I think that that is when the character is uh, at her most exciting. Um, And I hope that they continue to do more with her kind of away from the team. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but when Victoria Hand is uh, questioning everyone on the plane and what exactly Sky does, and then May kind of is just like, well, Sky doesn't do anything. Loved it. I wanted to applaud and be like, yes, you're right. Most of the time, Sky doesn't do anything. They don't know what she's there to do. She's at her best when she is away from the team, and she actually has to work on her own. I want to I want a scene uh, some point in the future where they have to go see 
hand at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters or something, and they just go into her office, and she's, like, reclining on something, and there's that big brain-carving robot, but it's just giving her hair highlights. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Because those are really professionally done all the time. I don't know where she finds the time. It's natural. That's, oh yeah, it's totally natural. She's an inhuman, and uh, ah. it's her genetic uh, mutation. Red is an oh, odd choice, good. too, for an office environment to go with high- with red highlights. Especially for a no-nonsense character. Yeah, but it's funny, though, because in this world where we have hot hackers and impossibly gorgeous S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and uh, all this stuff, like, her red highlights are the one thing that I'm just like, really? You went with red on, on these? Uh, yeah. Commander of People? It's the character design from the comic book. I know, but, uh, but it still looks funny in real fun. life. Like, cause I'm, it's like her and the chick that works at Kroger have the same hairstyle, and it's <laughs> it's a little bit funny to me. <laughs> well, speaking of Victoria Hand, she was a little bit more of an obstacle for the team in this episode, and you know she represents Shield, who she has to stick by the rules and all the protocols. But by the end of this episode, Coulson is back. He he's on the bus. He's leading the team again. Do you think that Victoria Hand was just a one episode obstacle for the team? Are they going to continue to bring her back constantly, or will she just pop up occasionally? I think as long as Samuel Jackson and Kobe Smulders are busy elsewhere, we're going to see plenty of uh, Victoria Hand. Well, don't for- don't forget. What about Titus Welliver and Agent Blake? When's he going to come back? I don't know, but they're not in the same position of authority as Victoria Hand is. Like, I think Titus Welliver is in charge of, like, one thing, whereas Victoria Hand is actually, like, you know, King Cheese, sitting behind a desk, banging that desk, yelling at people for for getting her in trouble, like, with the commissioner. If she was a really big, fat, old guy, she'd be like, you are fired! You know, like, that kind of thing. So, again, I've said for a long time, we need someone... Uh, in S.H.I.E.L.D. to tell these people no, to give these people something to rail against or to be superior than, to show why this team is actually worth following, because initial episodes really didn't make them seem like the most important people in the uh, uh, in the organization, and showing a little bit of contrast helps. Of course, the downside is, again, uh, it makes the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. look kind of stupid. You know what's funny, though, is in the comic books, the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. does always look stupid. Like, it's not even like it's completely carried over. Like until they decide to make an Agents of Shield show, it was a pretty incompetent organization throughout comic book history. Anyway, they're always capturing some dude that's breaking out and always uh, trying to capture a hero instead of help. So it's like let's lock up Cable and shit. Like Shield's always just been an obstacle uh, to everybody um, and just like the comic book police. Anyway, uh, and I do think Hand is gonna be back and Agent Hand is gonna be. Uh, involved a lot just because in the comic books she's huge in shield and betrays them several times and all this shit and um i think she'll be around for for that maybe not this season but at some point all right well to get back to the big reveal in this episode which is uh what happened to colson we touched on it a little bit but i want to talk about it a little bit more um rod it sounds like you really liked how they handled it oliver i'm not sure you liked it quite as much we just he was dead for a while okay no shit yeah (laughs) yeah i i kind of agree with you oliver i thought it felt a little bit too calculated it felt a little bit too much like oh well we we have to give the audience something well it's like no okay for if this episode was for audience members who hadn't figured out that tahiti was a plot point yet 
<laughs> right. For those people, this was going to blow their mind. For the rest of us, it's got, again, it's got a cool visual. It's a little tiny bit more information than we had. At least it rules out a couple of theories that everyone was bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Does it, though? Because we did, he's, I don't think he's a life model decoy. I think he could be. He could definitely have robot parts. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I didn't see anything in this episode that means he couldn't be a clone or, or a life model decoy. All we really learned is that he was dead for, for days and that they just kept him alive through multiple surgeries and this machine that was doing something on his brain, I guess keeping him conscious. I felt like really we didn't learn a whole lot. They also implanted whatever that Tahiti thing into his memory so that he would uh, continue to want to live because apparently he lost the will to live and wanted to just die uh, after all that shit. So, Which is basically season six of Buffy. And, oh my god, I said the exact same thing, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I do not need to go through this again. You know, the, the thing is, though, it took six seasons for Buffy to get to this. We're getting through this in like ten episodes. I think they're way ahead. It, it wouldn't have worked in season one of Buffy. It wouldn't have made any sense. It only worked as well as it did, and that's and that's actually... I'm not actually saying it worked all that well, but yeah. like, if it worked well, if it worked at all, it only worked because we had five seasons of build-up. Exactly. Well, we have to allow, I think, well, not we, I am allowing this show some build up a little more slack than you guys. But um, I think this is just like one of the first steps towards finding out uh, more about this, this Colson thing. I don't think any of these plot points are meant to uh, be ended or um, completely revealed until the end of the season. But why did it take 10 episodes to take one first step? Yeah, I don't think it was the first step. The first step was like him envisioning Tahiti and all that shit too. Um, also, he got like they were doing stuff like health. Che- he would go to get his uh, physical and get his checks and all this stuff like that. Then sh- the revealing of the scar. But that's not a step. They're incremental steps that I think you guys don't count that I do, and that's that's just a just a difference of a, a opinion of how we See, view it. But here's the I don't think that was, here's why I don't think that was a step. That wasn't a step. That was teasing the first step. Yes. That was trying to pique our interest. So when they took the first step, we'd be like, ah, that feels dramatic. And it's like, no, I think it would have been better. I think honestly it would have been better if it was a surprise. Uh, I think that there is, you know, there's something to be said for surprise, for surprise versus suspense. Often suspense is better. But uh, if you can't really capitalize on the suspense, then surprise it might actually have been more effective here. Uh, we really haven't had a lot of huge surprises on the show. Like, oh my god! Like the first episode, you're like, oh, Sky's a double agent. Okay, well, hey, that's a surprise. Let's let's go with that. Let's see what's going on there. And uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So that's what I mean. that's I I think I might have lost my train of thought there. I just feel like it's not as impressive a build up and payoff. And yes, obviously, you know, every payoff is going to lead to more questions as well. It should because it's a serialized television series. And it needs to keep going afterwards. But if you're going to make such a big deal out of it, then the incremental payoffs need to actually pay off somewhat. And again, I actually like this episode. This might actually be my favorite episode of the series overall, but it does still have problems. And uh, I, I think we might be in a position now where we can fix them over time. I'm hoping that the break gave them an opportunity to sort of take stock, start fixing uh, the things that are going wrong. This might just be like the first step. In uh, okay, so we ha- we realize we have all these problems. We were setting this stuff up too slowly. We've got these characters who are kind of stagnant. We're gonna fix them as fast as possible, but it's gonna take a couple episodes. That's what I'm hoping. 
And that has happened on multiple shows where over time they fix their problems, they realize what's going on, they start seeing the audience reactions, and they can actually start responding to them to make the show better. That's what I got this impression of on this on this episode. They'll listen to the Shield cast and they'll realize what needs to be done. Of course they're listening to the Shield cast. I just need some Marvel characters in here. Like there is well, how many Marvel characters have we had eleven episodes in? Five? Have we? There's Victoria Hand. Graviton, Victoria Hand, uh, that's it. Two. The end. That's it. Two. <laughs> no, no, episodes. no. I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, next episode, we're getting the Blizzard. Who's 17 years old and Jack's kid from Lost. Oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> who gives a shit? <laughs> so, like, yeah, I'm sorry. How much emotional about. connection do you have to the Blizzard and his yeah. and, and his human persona? Really? Correct. But I, I would love to have, like, a, a, a supervillain appear, already a supervillain, and they have to fight the supervillain. Is that too much to ask for? I think it is too much to ask for, because the problem is, once you get into that territory, you run into the problem of, this is no longer a S.H.I.E.L.D. problem, this is a Thor problem. This is this is something they would actually send in Captain America to do. Actually, you know what? That would be an awesome Captain America tie-in episode. How about this? The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Captain America tie-in episode is what the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were doing while Captain America was doing all the Winter Soldier shit and couldn't fight an actual supervillain. Yeah. I mean, we know Thor's not on planet. No, he is. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. I guess he did come back in that after. Yeah, he's around. He's just, so. he just, he just, he uh, just doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> I think that's what they said. Well, I, I think I've been talking about this for a while now, but the uh, conflict with the show is going to always be anything they touch has to be not big enough to affect the Marvel universe in these movies or anything. They have to keep the scope small enough to also to not affect any villains that they might want to use. Any, yeah. um, you know, anything, any future properties, not to mention all the shit that they can't use because of Fox and whatnot. Like they're like they're kind of yeah. in a catch 22 and it might be the, the ultimate demise of the show or at least, you know, demise critically um, of the show will be that all the scope that they that they promise or that people feel like they should have in their head. They're just never going to really uh, feasible be, be feasible with the way that they write the show. Well, you can't have, you know, cities falling apart because of giant monsters. That's, that is written out. But you know what? Because it's a spy show, you can have potentially major plots like that, provided that they are clandestine and have to be kept secret in some way. Like you could have, like, like Centipede is a secret organization building super soldiers. As long as the whole point is that they're keeping that secret and only S.H.I.E.L.D. knows about it and they can't let it get out, then yeah, okay, you can keep building that. You can make that bigger. In a movie universe where, like, they're uh, the second, villain reveal for uh the second avengers movie is like baron von strucker like i don't know what their what is their rolodex of people that are off limits and people that they can use and stuff like that because i think graviton is a is about as big a name as we're gonna get and that's gonna end up having to be like the big bad probably at some point because i don't think they're gonna be able to just willy-nilly deal these uh bad guys or good guys in like on a weekly basis and not to mention once you start down that path uh i think you really raise the bar for yourself and it, it will be interesting to see if they even can go past that it's almost like uh what heroes what heroes did with siler where uh you get you write yourself into this hole where all of a sudden it's like now that i've seen siler do this shit i want to see that every fucking week and if not then it's yeah. a piss poor uh -huh. show just to kind of piggyback on what both of you are saying, I think there's a really big difference between scope 
and stakes. I don't think this mm-hmm. show needs to have yeah. really big, recognizable characters from the Marvel Universe for there to be some serious stakes here. And even though I have mixed feelings about what exactly they revealed about Coulson in this episode, I do think that that subplot does have some pretty serious stakes. I mean, you've got this guy questioning his very identity, his his own will to live, the system that he's trusted his whole life that's like a family to him. There's some genuine stakes to that. So I think there's a lot of potential for the show to be impactful without necessarily having these really huge, powerful villains or these these forces that are going to dramatically impact the Marvel Universe as a whole. Right. No, well, here's here's my thing, and I honestly think that the show can work within its means. Again, Marvel, Marvel owns thousands of characters. Yes, exactly. Only, like, maybe, if, if the movies go on for a while, they're only ever going to be able to put, like, a couple hundred in them. So you don't have to, like, I, I'm, I agree. We don't need to have a huge scale in order to have huge stakes. But again, you look at the best comic book series on television right now, Arrow, they managed to take minor villains. Like, Count Vertigo is, like, the biggest, like, they've mentioned Raz al Ghul, fun, but, like, they they have a mind, Count Vertigo is like the biggest villain they've ever had, and they managed to make him smaller, and yet at the same time ha- be a huge threat to everyone and feel like a worthy opponent. They managed to have guys like who who the hell cares about Bronze Tiger? I don't know, but it was awesome. So like you can do that. You can have a smaller Marvel villain, and you can play with them and make them a bigger deal because the movies won't ever give a shit, and the show has has the freedom to escalate. You know, boomerang. Like make boomerang the big bad for all I care. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, at least you're giving comic fans something. Like we're just getting these no name people. Like you have this massive, massive library of characters to choose from. Why are you giving us all these random characters when you could be at least scratching my fanboy itch a little bit? I mean, think about it. Any type of villain you want, any type of villain you want to put on the show, like an original villain, you can go into Marvel Comics history and find an analog that they're never going to put in the, through the movie. Like you want, like, like uh, look, look at the, what was the one? Uh, what was the the, uh, the asset? All right, when uh, like they, so they get that graviton, this big rich guy. How many rich guys are there in the Marvel universe? Why couldn't you have made that like rich guy they had to infiltrate? Why couldn't that have been like the foreigner? You're never going to use the foreigner in a movie. Put the foreigner in there. <laughs> you know, like you can do that. No one will ever care. But the thing is, also like in Arrow, they they dumb down those characters so much uh, to such a basic level, like. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a show seems to be kind of anti that. Like, they're not, like, it's more big budget. It's not more big budget. Like, it's bigger than Arrow. Arrow feels so much bigger than S.H.I.E.L.D. does. S.H.I.E.L.D. feels confined. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the stakes feel bigger. I agree. What I'm saying is, I think the thing is, when you have a guy that has no powers and you're using him as, you're using an origin story, to kind of build him up so they build the world up around him as he kind of grows. I think it's a it's all, it's like a different type of story than what they're doing with Shield. Shield is already in this established universe in this these movies where they have these heroes. So that it's almost like uh if a villain does show does show up, they don't get the same benefit of like with Graviton where they're clearly doing an origin with him and you know that he's obviously going to go away and come back. It, I don't think that that gets to count for them. You know what I mean? Like I, where I feel like it should. Like 
that is them doing that version. Like that is them doing their version of this arrow thing where we know right. Graviton's gonna come back and wreck shop and we're gonna be like, oh cool, that that paid off. Right, Rod, that's my whole point. Why don't we have more episodes like that? The asset is my other favorite episode of this series. Like I think we can do that more often. I think they need to establish the characters that they have before they can do that. And I think they've been they've been doing that at just a slower pace than people like. Then pick up the pace. Yeah, what the hell? There's no reason for this show to be so slow and, like, we're halfway through the season. We got a tiny little bit of information about Coulson this week, and we have no information about Sky. We get no information ever. I just get so bored. Yeah, use the time to either build up a rose gallery or build up your heroes. Preferably both, but I don't care. Pick one. Either make the heroes so damned interesting and evolving fast enough that I'm invested in seeing them every single week that I don't necessarily care what the A-plot is, or make the A-plots so satisfying and interesting and cool and and develop so quickly that I don't even care that much if the characters are ciphers. Yeah. Pick one. I don't care which. One One small comment about the budget. I haven't seen Arrow, so I don't know how that show fix that in comparison but uh there's a shot in this episode of the bus turning around that was cool it was a cool shot but i found myself thinking i wish they had taken the money that went into this shot and used it in somewhere else because i keep hearing this show has a big budget but i kind of think it looks cheap a lot of the time and they look like sets the camera work is really weird, too. It's just like, ever, they're always stuck on that plane, which is a really, really boring visual. And then when they do get out of the plane, they're always clearly in L.A. Like, they're yeah. in the desert, or they're in summer with palm trees. Like, when they go to, like, uh, some Eastern European country, it's just more desert. It's just a back maybe, lot. Maybe they found a warehouse somewhere. And you just, and you just can't walk through L.A. without tripping on a warehouse. They're just, they're just everywhere. And, you know, the thing about Arrow that immediately stuck out to me was how much better the violence is. Like, the choreography is so much better. Like, the action feels like it has so much more force. Uh, like, right. people people could actually get hurt in these fights. And I've only seen, what, like, three episodes of Arrow, and they've all been from season two. And I liked all of them more than S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. Quick question. Does Arrow come on at 8? Or is it a 9 o'clock show? It comes on at 8, yeah. Okay, so then there's really no reason S.H.I.E.L.D. couldn't be doing that. Well, I mean, Arrow is about, like, urban vigilantism. Like, the tone is different. I will give you that. Arrow feels more like more like Batman than this. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll totally, totally grant you that. Eight S.H.I.E.L.D. probably should have its own tone. It should feel lighter, because the Marvel Universe is lighter than the DC Universe, at least in the multimedia platforms right now. That's fine. Uh, but I, I'm not so much concerned about the actual level of the violence, so much as I am concerned about the action and the action choreography. And yeah, you know, I, I actually liked the fight at the end of this episode. I thought it was kind of cool. I got a sense of danger. Um, like the scene where he ripped like the, the door off the car. I'm like, hey, super villain shit. That's cool. But then there's a scene where he punched the head off a mannequin and they linger on the head of the mannequin. Like that was all badass. And I'm like, it's a mannequin. <laughs> like I might be able to do that. I, I that's it is just a mannequin. Like I wasn't. That's not really badass. This is a series where you're right. I think the money is going to some weird places, and I yeah. wish it could go to things like uh, choreography, more interesting sets, better costumes. In some case, I mean, I like the centipede look, but like, can we get like some bad guys in something other than a suit? 
Like, can we get, I don't, yes. they don't need to have super villain costumes, but can we have like a cool layer that isn't just a lab in a circle, which is what like all villains have now. I would like to talk about though. We haven't talked about this at all. Oh, wait, before, before we move on, I do yeah. want to say, uh, I, I enjoy okay. the fighting choreography a lot. All right, go ahead. Okay. Uh, we got a little bit more about the clairvoyance of this episode, and there's only two ways we can go with this whole clairvoyance shtick. Either uh, telepathy and or ESP uh, does exist in the Marvel Universe and everyone's wrong about it, or it doesn't and this guy is either a robot or from the future. Or he has a shield mole or something. Yeah, he could be a spy or something. He's got a shield mole. Like, is his shield mole the president's shrink? Because he's supposed to know what the president is dreaming about. I feel like if you put cameras inside of people's eyes for a living you probably know a lot of shit that uh you know that people aren't aware of they can see what you see remember so like i remember during the episode the eye or whatever they were able to to see exactly i mean that's that's kind of much established even the the episode with ward wearing the glasses they can see what you see so i wonder like if they just have a network of spies and they just know shit because they have people everywhere well, what was the phone thing? Was that just like a uh, like a booby trapped phone, or does he have like magical over the phone powers? Okay, uh, the thing with the phone, I thought that that was a callback to Iron Man and the little device that Jeff Bridges uses on Tony. Oh yeah, I don't know, man, I but know. I definitely would. If I was Raina, I would buy me a cheap burner instead of whatever <laughs> the fuck that phone. Like she took that guy's <laughs> phone. After he died, and I definitely would not have taken that guy's phone. I'd be like, call me on my line. <laughs> I, I do think that Raina was far more interesting in this episode than she has been in previous episodes. I finally found her to be an intriguing character, and I'm, I'm curious to see what happens now that they have her in custody. I'm also glad that they just killed off that other guy, whatever yes. his name was. Edison Poe. <laughs> yeah, it's just there were so many little small villains that didn't really have much personality. I'm glad that they just kind of got rid of him and now they're going to focus on Reyna. I felt like they only had him there as a guy to kill so Reyna could take over because she was always more charismatic than him and she always seemed way more involved. And then the moment that they revealed like her number one goal would be to meet and become the the, the clairvoyance like right-hand woman, I was like, well, this dude's in the way. Like he just needs to die. Uh, and then she gets promoted because everybody would rather yeah. see her anyway. But it's funny because just a few weeks ago we were talking about how uh, she was boring and they needed to you know, like what, what was the point of her being on the show? And then just like a uh, couple better, a couple well written scenes and uh, her act- acting with Clark Gregg was uh, probably the second best acting they've had on the show. That whole like interrogation slash uh, don't mm-hmm. you want to know what happened to you was really good. So I, I actually enjoyed it. Enjoyed that. Sacrifice is part of the job. I would give my life. You didn't just give your life. You gave up your chance at a normal one. At love. And she did love you, Agent Coulson. How could you know that? Do you miss her? Dinners at the Richmond? Do you miss hearing her play? even have a chance to say goodbye i couldn't i I can't she cried for days after shield told her you died they shattered her heart with a lie here's the thing what's the name of the actress again i'm not familiar with her you said she was on misfits 
Um, her name no is Ruth Nega, N-E-G-G-A. Yes. I can no say her how- last name. You guys can't. <laughs> okay. Ruth Ninja knows how to polish a turd. She is a really good actress yeah. who is working with crap. She is working with an absolute utmost, like, cliched beyond belief femme fatale character who has to then be, have be like an unconvincing fangirl for this whole clairvoyant bit. She's evil when it suits, like, the plot to be evil. She's understanding when it suits the plot. Because the thing is, is that, you know, we talk about all the other characters. We, we don't know where these villains are coming from. That's another reason why Graviton made such an impact is because we actually knew where he was coming from. We knew what he wanted. We knew what he was about. We knew he saw some flaws in his character. She is just a generic femme fatale character who has an, a, who has a distinctive look. She's very attractive. She's a good actress, so she's able to sell this better than you think. But she is a generic boilerplate, mysterious villain type character. I agree with you, Bibbs, and and that's why I haven't been a, a big fan of her character until this episode. But I agree with Rod. I think that those scenes with with her and Coulson were some of the best scenes in the episode, just because of the strength of their performances, and and they're just both such charismatic actors that it really worked for me. I, personally, my f- favorite scene in the entire episode was when she brings up the cellist yes. and she's making Coulson question that whole relationship that he has had to, to give up. I thought that that was fantastic. You know, yeah, we've seen stuff like this before, but just the strength of their performances really sold it for me. Hey, did y'all know Coulson's daddy was dead or was that new information in the show? Cause I didn't remember them talking about that before. Oh, who's that? Remember they said, uh, Jay, the reason that he he gravitated towards Jay August Richards was because uh, he died in front of his son, and it, then uh, Poe uh, was like, "Your father died," and it reminds you of. And I was like, "Has this shit come up before? Or is this like new shit?" I don't remember it. It's also here's the thing that's not like a huge review. That doesn't really explain anything to me. That's just sort of like, "Oh yeah, you had a dad, and your then he died." And and, that, and 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 like that was a life altering moment. Pretty much any time your dad dies, it's a life altering moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit, Bibbs, because I think the 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 thing that that bit of information gets at is that Coulson doesn't really have a family. Shield yeah. has been his family for his entire life, and as a result, he's made so many sacrifices. And that's why I think that there are stakes to this subplot. The fact that maybe that could all be a lie to us to a certain extent. That Shield might not be what he thinks it is. And it explains like part of why he's so quirky with his choices and shit with his team, like and why he's over the personal line with his team. Like it's clearly not it's clearly more than a professional relationship that he has these people on his ship. And then also, is it some shit are we supposed to think the clairvoyant knew that? Or are is like is that not general knowledge? Like, is that supposed to be convincing yeah. him that he's getting his brain right? I, like, that was the thing for me was I just didn't understand what was the point of them bringing that up. And I was like, well, maybe maybe they brought it up before and I didn't notice. But if you guys didn't notice either, then I'm assuming this is new information. I think it's new. I, I don't. It didn't blow my mind or nothing. It's just, uh, yeah, your dad died, dude. I think I'm kind of split between uh, the two conflicting groups here because while I liked the performance, and I, th- I think that was probably the best scene of the entire show, I got to agree with Bibbs that it's totally polishing a turd. The script is still kind of lame. The cellist bit, 
didn't necessarily ring all that true to me, but they were both acting really well, and I I felt like Greg was giving a, an actual emotional performance. Even if I didn't necessarily like the the writing of the conversation, I felt like they both tapped into the emotional uh, undercurrent of what they were talking about, which is uh, something that you don't really get on this show. I don't ever really feel that invested. Right. No, that's, I agree with Oliver. I think that was my point. I think they're both great actors and I think they're doing some great work, but the scene was just insert dialogue here. It, it's pretty much just, it was all about this getting to this one plot point and there was nothing, no one was really revealing anything about themselves or, or, or building their character in any sort of way. It was just sort of getting Colson to agree to do something that he wanted to do anyway, but he felt he couldn't out of duty. And Reyna being a manipulative bitch, because that's all that character is. Literally. That's all we've seen. She's a manipulative, evil person, and she's kind of interested in this clairvoyant individual. That's all we got. But I can accept that for villains more than I can for... Like, I can accept a little bit more shallow of a villain versus shallow lead characters. Because, I don't know, they're bad guys. I tend... In comics, we don't necessarily get all that much information about the bad guy anyway. I'm just glad that she's a good actress, essentially. But uh, I, I'm hoping that now that she's in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, that she'll may, they'll maybe force them, her to work with them or something. I really just want more scenes with her and Greg together. So we'll see what happens. She should be an interesting person to interrogate. Like, those scenes should be really good because pretty much she's shown that she's able to manipulate people into doing what, what she wants them to do with just talking to them. No threats of violence or really force. So it should be interesting to see, like, who they put in a room to talk to her and what she gets shield to do, you know, just by talking to him. I hope whoever the interrogator is, they show up in a dress that's like covered in pruning shears. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did confirm in this episode that I don't know if it's supernatural or not, but she does have very good powers of persuasion. That is the term that, uh, that I believe Edison Poe uses. Also, um, there is character development in Agent Coulson uh, relenting and questioning his faith in S.H.I.E.L.D. as his family. There is some character development there. Right. Even though I wasn't really happy with what was revealed in this episode, I was fully on board with how it was revealed just in terms of Clark Gregg's performance and that scene of him just begging for death. I was I was totally on board. Also, uh, no, one's br- no one's brought it up, but him... Uh, confronting the doctor yes that's a huge scene man like is it no it was not well no okay it's not a huge scene but i liked it just because i want to see more ron glass it was just i loved that he was like oh i got these very vague memories i don't know what's going to go on i'm going to confront the doctor and i'll just get even more vague answers like it was just vague central uh once he got in that car the doctor was um extremely morally disturbed by what happened there um but and and then the, him also revealing that it came from the top down with fury being involved and all of that stuff um and we all know that Coulson and fury that relationship is you know a, a very strong bond throughout the movies i feel like that is going to lead to uh Coulson, uh who was obviously you know feeling out of sorts at this point uh, down a path of questioning his superiors and and like trying to find out what what the fuck happened to him and I think that does lead to uh or can lead to some interesting um subplots in the future. Rod, here's my question in regards to that. I'm not going to argue with that, but here's my thing. 
Uh, did you honestly think that the whole Tahiti thing wasn't going to to lead to Coulson questioning his superiors? Um, I didn't know what the answer would be, but I mean, obviously, yes, they would at some point he would question his superiors about being a life model decoy yeah, or whatever. It, it's just like there was a conspiracy. You guys did something to me. Now we know, like we know, like I I I think they're trying to tell us that he's that he's like really Coulson. I think, uh, yeah, okay, fine. They clarified that it came from Nick Fury. I'm pretty sure he would have known about it. Nick Fury wouldn't have just gone to work one day and saw a Coulson there and go, what did you do? What the hell? Why is there a Coulson here? He died. You guys went completely behind my back on this. Like, we know he knows he's there. So clearly Fury was in on it. Again, we have a few details about it in terms of how long he was dead, why they had to change some of his memories. We don't know how far they went. And, like, look, I'm glad that they're moving forward with it. Don't get me wrong, all right? And, again, I really do think that the visual of Coulson's brain being fucking interrogator droid from Star Wars fucked with, like, I thought that was cool, and I was like, ooh. And, again, it really polished that turn. It really made me go, like, oh, man, this is awesome. And then I was like, wait a minute, what did we what did we learn? Nothing of consequence. The, the yeah, man, this is awesome is part of what I'm here for. Also, sure. um, they can use it in the future because now instead of these dreams of Tahiti, it'll be dream flashbacks, his brain being fucked with. Uh, it'll be him questioning orders um, sent down to him. It can lead to a lot more stuff in the future. I think that that is just bigger. I, I don't know. It seems like no matter what happens, uh, you guys kind of downplay whatever it is into. Well, it does. None of this matters. And I, I just don't agree. I, I do find it compelling. Well, I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just observing. Well, uh, I, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this episode, except, Rod, I agree with what you said at the beginning. Rob Hubel's hilarious, and <laughs> I was glad to see him in this episode. Everyone should go check out his limited-run podcast, Mike Detective, when you get a chance. It is absolutely hilarious. Dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> Great license plate. Okay, well, we did get an email from a listener named Thomas, uh, Rod, why don't you go ahead and, and read that, and then we can discuss it. And if you're listening now in the chat room, go ahead and, and submit your questions and let us know what else you would like us to uh, to touch on. Thomas writes in, hey, Shieldcast. Hi, Thomas! Oh, I thought we were all going to do that. All right, never mind. A couple of questions for the group. Do you think it's do or die time for Marissa Tancheron and Jed Whedon? I feel if they didn't get the ratings up, Disney will dismiss them. If they don't get the ratings out, Disney will dismiss them from their showrunner responsibilities next season. That's question one. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I think they don't want to piss off Joss. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think they might bring in more help. I think they might change the writing staff. I think Joss might end up getting more involved, which I would welcome. I think that would be a really, really good shift. Um, I don't think they're bad. I just think that they're finding their legs, and it's unfortunate that they have to find their legs on such a high-profile series with so much anticipation behind it. If they had done, like, Almost Human or or The Tomorrow People or something like that, if, like, a show like that was, like, of this quality, I don't think we'd be as critical. I think we'd be sort of like, oh, it's kind of fun. They're figuring it out. Maybe the show will get really, really good. They were dealt a difficult hand, and I think they're playing it as best they can, and I hope when all is said and done that they aren't just bluffing. Metaphors! Uh, I kind of agree with both of y'all. Um, and then the other thing I would add is, this is still like ABC's highest rating ever for a Tuesday at eight o'clock, even though um, it's not doing as well as uh, I guess it first started out doing. Um, and they're still trying to find their level um, and it's not beating NCIS in the live ratings. 
Uh, but it is leading everything in the DVR ratings, which is uh, kind of weird. And it's also leading in the 18 to 34 male demographic, which is uh, the coveted demographic for uh, shows like this. So I, I think uh, a lot of writers kind of spin the ratings game. But at the end of the day, I don't think the ratings matter as much as people think for a show like this, because it's also tied to the Marvel Universe uh, and Disney. So it's almost like it, it can fail. And uh, it probably will stay on long, longer than it deserves to, even if it does fail. I think, you know, the thing, the thing you have to remember in something like this also is it's not just the ratings. It's also how much they have to spend to get those ratings. If they can get these same ratings with a reality TV show, you bet your ass they'd be doing that instead. So that's the thing I think is in more danger is them having their budget slashed at some point. Oh, God, they can't have it slashed anymore. I don't know how, yeah. how much cheaper it can look. Well, that's the thing is they have to, they, they're trying, they're playing, they have this terrible, terrible, terrible thing they have to work with where they have to try to make the world seem huge with a budget that's pretty big for TV, but so small for what they're actually yeah. trying to visualize. And if they were able to like, I'm waiting for like season two when like she, uh, Coulson's team is completely shut off from shield and working out of sky's van. Like then this show might actually be kind of awesome. Like then that money will go somewhere. It'll be kind of neat. I, I would feel really, really bad for the DP trying to get coverage in that van, but how funny would it be? <laughs> like that's my dream. It could be like Scooby-Doo, but with uh, Ages of Shield. Yeah, there you go. Since the reason Coulson was resurrected was due to Nick Fury wanting to bring his friend back to life, the smart course of Ages of Shield is to get Sam Jackson to guest star in a full episode, not just a cameo. The fallout of his resurrection will only have a payoff if he's face-to-face on screen meeting with Fury. What do you guys think? I agree. I think it's only a real payoff if he works his way up the ladder of command to mm. talking to Nick Fury on Ages of Shield at some point. Uh, and and yeah. I only thing that would really suck would be if they do that in a movie and not on the show. Uh, that would be the only way that they could completely piss me off with that. No, I, I agree. You, uh, but also, just showing him in this episode clarifies that he will be important, that we will have to deal with him. He will have to come back in order to to bring whatever the subplot is to a close, or at least to a head. Uh, the one thing I will say about the question that was posed is, I think there, there's a big assumption being made there in that Fury brought Coulson back because he misses his friend. Mm. That sounds kind of lame to me. I'm pretty sure Fr- Fury has lost friends before. I'm pretty sure that three days after Coulson died, Fury was like, oh shit, we were supposed to play Squash on Saturday. Uh, bring, bring him back! Bring him back! Move, <laughs> out, move heaven and earth! <laughs> All right? Invent new technology! Corrupt scientists! Just bring him back! Like, that's not, it's not a friend thing. All right? They, they had a, they clearly had a reason. God only knows what it is. I wish they would tease that more than the actual telling us he came back to life. Because duh, like I—that's what I wish we had a tease with—is some some reason to suspect why it was so important to bring Coulson back. I think that would have been better for this episode. But yes, I do agree. Samuel Jackson has got to come back. Another thing I meant to mention earlier too, as part of a potential plot point, um, now that he has his real memory back, or at least flashes of it, he might start losing the will to live. And if he's depressed, suicidal distant Coulson uh I kind of want to see Clark Gregg go through that it rem- that um could be kind of a, a a cool twist on this character that so far has been the optimistic upbeat quirky guy and suddenly he's why can't I just fucking die I hate all of you I would like that that'd be fun agreed that would take the show in a much darker direction which I think uh, it needs to a certain extent mm-hmm. that was it for the email by the way thank you for that email Thomas 
All right, Rod, do we have any questions in the chat room? We do have questions in the chat room. Is the, cl- is the clairvoyant in the comics, do y'all know? Uh, no. Uh, no. Not under that name. It's possible oh, yeah. that we'll find out that the clairvoyant is actually like Modoc or something, or, or maybe even like, I, I don't know, it could be anything. But there isn't just a character named the clairvoyant who does this stuff. That's all new. Yeah, who all has future singing powers in the Marvel Universe? I know it's like Madam Web. Yeah, Destiny from the X-Men. Again, I still think it's possible that this could be a time travel thing, that this is someone who knows stuff from the future. So mm-hmm. could be someone like Immortus, uh, which actually would be kind of cool. The very little known time Jones, time travel Jones Jackson, that dude could be it. That's true. It could be Coulson from the future acting against S.H.I.E.L.D. to get revenge for... Yeah, no. Can we please not? I would rather have it be, like, Vampire Sky. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually would be kind of cool. For the record, I would also accept Time Travel Coasting, uh, by the way, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Just to to do this show the next day would be the best part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, someone brought up Scooby-Doo. Now I can't help but think maybe the clairvoyant is just Old Man Winner's the shop <laughs> <laughs> um trojan right saying why do we expect more depth and character from heroes i think oliver because was saying the, earlier um he kind of addressed that because it's the only way to make us care about them yeah but but, no, but okay but that's an interesting question why do we need to care more about heroes than villains oh because, you mean specifically I mean, about heroes in general right I don't know, because the heroes who are following every single week, the villain villains get cycled in and out. Yeah, I'm reading like Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which is a book all about villains, but those are the lead characters. So they have they've been fleshed out. We understand motivations. We understand uh, like their past. We get we get this kind of information. It's not necessarily the hero, but whoever is the the main the main people were that that we're following. I want there to be depth and I want there to be personality for all of those characters. And when we talk about depth, we're not saying we want like a Mike Lee movie. All right. They just need to be enough of a character with enough complexity and enough uh, interesting stuff going on in their lives and enough character development that we want to see what happens to them next week beyond them fighting the villain, because that will get old after a while. These characters don't necessarily represent an ideal that needs to be enforced. They actually represent characters who need to live, who need to breathe, and who need to do stuff. And if we care about them, we'll want to keep watching. And if we don't, then we won't. I will say this. I don't think that um, we necessarily need a lot of depth for heroes. A lot of heroes are kind of blank slates and they get established early. And then they only the only time they get reestablished is through the narrative of whatever the villain's doing. So, like, take Bruce Wayne, for example. His story is old as time itself. We know the origin. No matter how many different ways they write it, it's ultimately, you know, this dude gets orphaned because of crime. And now he's uh, going to put on a pajamas and fight everybody. But the villains are what separate great shows and great folklore and tales from 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 just mediocre shit. I think it does pay off better when you establish a villain and the pathology of that villain. And that is one thing that uh, this show, because they don't have any truly established villains, uh, is one of the things that is lacking in this show. Like if they if they had the big bad, like whatever the clairvoyant is. They don't just need to have the clairvoyant. It needs to be like, why? Why the fuck did this happen? Why are you doing all this? How did you get to this right. point? Like, which of Ward's brothers is it? Right. Who yeah. Which you? one of his brothers is it? It's not yeah. just the how, but the why. 
that truly separates good fiction from from bad even uh in the superior spider-man which is a book i'm really enjoying um that really is a villain story at this point but it is so much more compelling to me than when peter parker was spider-man because his his entire motivations are completely different and his ego and all this stuff and flaws are much more compelling than peter parker's am i gonna make it to the paper on time or am i gonna miss my test that this shit is way way better to me so i think villains make shows great oh yeah and i mean i think like uh batman has the best rogues gallery because all of those villains are super fleshed out like batman the animated series there are so many classic episodes of that that are origin stories or just whatever you get such a great idea of the emotional life of those characters in 22 minutes that we don't get in 40 of shield essentially and that's it's not necessarily that heroes need depth villains don't need depth it's that whoever is your main character you needs to be more than just a a cipher like i need to understand why i'm here period well i mean and and the thing with batman's villains as well is that yes they're all fleshed out but the villains that we remember the villains that work really really well and come back time and time again also in some way reflect something about the hero now, it might have been that the hero was such a cipher that the villain started to bring that out in the hero, and then they both became better. And I don't really care what came first. The reason why they work is because, you know, the Joker is chaos, the Batman's order, Mr. Freeze is, like, uh, his, uh, you know, turning off his emotions to work out his vengeance issues, uh, and so on and so forth. Everything, every every major villain in that canon works. And the thing is, is that when a show like S.H.I.E.L.D., where the characters, again, are really ciphers, and they're not even, like, and it's an ensemble, too, so, like, none of the villains even have some sort of real grudge against them, there's really nothing to bring out yet. So that's what I'm waiting for. I agree. Anything else? Oh, um, someone says it's like Spike and Angel in, in the Buffy universe, the Buffyverse, which, uh, yeah. I guess. How... <laughs> Angel is extremely uh, complicated uh, hero slash villain, like at times. Yeah, I think both of both of them. Are Spike is too. Yeah, Spike too. Yeah, yeah so I, I agree. Definitely like that. I, I'm, I have a feeling that was probably in response to something we were saying at the time, and I no longer know what that was. <laughs> uh, so I apologize. I, you know what, I'm just gonna say it. You're right. It, it, whatever we were saying is exactly like Spike and Angel in the Buffyverse. One hundred percent. My highest of hopes for this show is that they don't need to bring in comic book villains. I really hope that they are able to establish some lore of their own. Optimistically, I would love to see them be able to do that at some point. Because if they can't, the show's never going to survive on pulling villains like the kangaroo. The point where we need the kangaroo or the boomerang to step in to save the show, it's 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 done. The show's done. I would love to see the kangaroo. Ooh, bring in Razorback. <laughs> Guy in a giant boar costume with an electrified ruff. Like, let's do that. Let's start it. Let's start like a Kickstarter campaign to try to pay for Razorback's costume <laughs> so they can just so they have no reason not to put it in Agents of Shield. Oh my god, that'll be so cool. All right, I think that's a good note to, to end things on. Uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of uh, the Agents of Shield cast. Write in and let us know what you thought of this episode uh, and what you think of the show. You can email us at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also leave us a voicemail uh, either through the website or by calling us at 336-793-2509. Be sure to subscribe to the show through iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like the Agents of Shieldcast, please write us a review. That really helps us 
out a lot in terms of uh, getting the word out about the program. And if you really like the show and you'd like to financially support us, you can donate to us by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking the donate button. Uh, You can also use our affiliates page to visit some of our partners, including Amazon. And anything you purchase from our affiliates, uh, if you use our website to get there, we will get a very small percentage of whatever you spend. So you can buy something for yourself and help us out at the same time. And as always, be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, uh, and our upcoming podcast about uh, True Detective, which will be premiering uh, next week. Uh, Oliver Saba, thanks again for joining us on The Shieldcast. It's been great having you back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Fun times. Well, where can people find more of your work? Uh, at theavclub.com. I do uh, comic book and TV stuff for them. And then I also do theater reviews for Time Out Chicago. So if you're in Chicago looking for uh, some good theater, you can always check those reviews. Agent Bibbs, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at craveonline.com. I'm the editor of the film channel. So most of the film content is either written by me or edited by me. So I hope you check that out. You can listen to me every week on the B-Movies podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter, at William Bibiani. And uh, I'm not going to be here next week because I'm going to be at Sundance. Uh, but if you check it back at Crave Online, we're going to have a lot of exclusive interviews and um, videos and reviews. And I'll probably have altitude sickness again. So that'll be fun. You're leaving us for Sundance, Bibbs? I listen. I want to be leaving. I want to be leaving you for the Adult Video News Awards. Oh. <laughs> That's what I want. They're always the same weekend now. I can never do both. <laughs> and my, my editors are always like, "You got to go to Sundance," and I'm like, "But the porn stars miss me." <laughs> And they actually do. Ah, it sucks. All right, moving on. Oh, Agent Rod Morrow, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me being hopelessly optimistic at the Black Guy Tips podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, <coughs> and Podomatic. Uh, just search those places and uh, check them out or go to theblackouttips.com. You can find my film and TV criticism at moviemezzanine.com and pathos.com. Uh, uh, over at Movie Mezzanine, we just revealed uh, our top 50 films of last year. And over at Pathos, I counted down my uh, my favorite TV shows of last year. So go check that out. Unfortunately, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did not make the list. But uh, maybe in 2014, it'll improve and it'll be up there. Uh, you can also find me co-hosting a few other podcasts on Film Geek Radio, uh, including Cinema Fix and our upcoming podcast on True Detective. And you can follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. And I hope that you will do that so we can keep talking about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That'll wrap it up for this episode. Agents disassembled. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!